Good morning. We're going to be reading from Luke chapter 1, verse 26, on page 723 of your Pew Bible. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings to you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name of Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she, who was said to be barren, is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. Uh, Well, let's pray, shall we, as we get into God's word. Uh, Father, thank you so much for... um, Uh, this great passage from scripture and uh, what it teaches us about uh, who Jesus is and why he came and we pray Father God that um, as we understand uh, Jesus better that um, we would indeed be bringing glory to you through him in our lives and so we ask that your Holy Spirit would take our word the the words from this passage and uh, shape our minds and shape our hearts in Jesus name we pray amen One of the interesting things I found about social networking sites like Facebook is that um, it makes it easy to reconnect with people that you haven't spoken to for a long time. Have you noticed that? Uh, Friends from maybe from a church that you used to go to or or old school friends, uh, relationships which have uh, fallen silent for, for ages... I even had someone from primary school reconnect with me on Facebook. And when suddenly people reconnect, uh, it's, um, sometimes it can be hard to know what to say. Other times you kind of just pick up the relationship where you left off. An old friend phoned me up one day and uh, hadn't spoken to me for 20 years and said, Scott, I haven't spoken to you for 20 years, so I thought I'd give you a call. How about that? That was fabulous, fantastic. Um, Christmas is a great time to uh, connect with people that we haven't heard from or haven't spoken to uh, since, well, sometimes since last Christmas. Uh, and, you, you know, you get the... Um, just receiving a card in the mail says, you've not been forgotten. I still remember you. Um, some of our friends sent out like a family newsletter this time of year, you know, telling us everything that's gone on in their lives and their kids' lives and the you know, the exams that they passed and the engagements and all of that sort of thing. It means that after a year of silence, you get to reconnect. I reckon that's great, don't you? Uh, 
Uh, and it's actually a very imp- appropriate thing to do at Christmas because here's something you might not have thought about with regards to Christmas. The very first Christmas, something which is overlooked about it, is that the very, on the very first Christmas it signalled um, the end of a very long silence from God. Um, typically God had communicated with his people Israel through prophets. But there had actually been a very long silence. There was a very long um, period of time where there was no uh, national prophetic voice uh, from God to his people. Now, in our Bibles, the, uh, the gap between the Old Testament and the New Testament, it's one sheet of paper, isn't it? Uh, you know how long a period of time that gap was? It was 400 years. What do you think about that? Think about it, that, there was, that 400 years had elapsed since the last book of the Old Testament. Now, in our relationships, if we, if we, we know that we're not going to see someone for a long while, you don't want to finish up on a bad note, do you? Well, sometimes it's because of the bad note that you actually don't see each other for a long while. Um, in our Bibles, the books of the Old Testament are not placed in, in, the, in historical order. They're not placed in the order in which the events happened or the order in which the book was written. Not necessarily. They're actually grouped in categories of like the style of literature. And so the last book in the Old Testament is what book? It's the book of, can anyone remember? Malachi, right? That's not actually the last thing that happened though. Uh, the story of the Old Testament actually ends with Nehemiah. And friends, Nehemiah ends on a pretty sour note. Just think back to Nehemiah. Um, God's people had been in in exile in Babylon. Um, The Persians had risen up. King Cyrus had let the people go. And uh, they'd gone back to, um, to Israel uh, in order to rebuild Jerusalem and particularly to rebuild the, the temple. It's a great moment in history. And at the beginning of the book of Nehemiah, God's people made some really important promises to God about how they were going to put him first, how they were going to live and so on. When you read through the book of Nehemiah, by the time you get to the end of the book of Nehemiah, they have broken every single promise that they made. And that's the end of the Old Testament period. That's it. That's not a great way to finish off, is it? Not a great way at all. And, <clears throat> and it began a, a period of uh, silence from God over a long period of history. And that was a period of history which saw a lot of changes take place in that part of the world. Because uh, at the end of the Old Testament, the Persians ruled... Um, but then along came Alexander the Great, and they took over. The Greeks took over from the Persians, uh, and they ruled until the rise of the Romans. And the point I'm making here is that what that meant was that between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament, that at least one entire empire, and that was the Greek Empire, had come and had gone. 
That's how long a period of time it had been and throughout that whole period of history, God had remained silent for 400 years. Now, there were, would have been a lot of Jews who really couldn't care too much about this. But there were other Jews who lived their lives in the hope that God would once again speak again and that God's kingdom would again become great. These were the godly Jews. Now, 400 years is a heck of a long time, isn't it? But when you get to Luke chapter 1, our passage today, God breaks his silence. Now, how did he do that? Uh, when God decided he was going to speak again to his people, what did he do? Did he gather together a great assembly of theologians and church leaders to say, his? no, he didn't. He actually sent an angel into a very humble situation. Now, when you think of an angel, when you think of angels, what sort of image comes to your mind? My guess is that our image of angels is more influenced... Do you think of the thing you stick on the top of your Christmas tree? You've got one of those at home? Uh, our image of angels is very much affected by Christian artwork, you know, particularly medieval kind of artwork. Uh, more so than what the Bible actually says about angels. But basically the word angel means messenger. It's an ordinary word, means messenger. And in the Bible it's a messenger from God. And the Bible doesn't actually say a whole lot about angels. Uh, but we do know that angels are an order of being which is, which is higher than humans. And the Bible tells us of uh, numerous occasions when angels appeared to people. However, only two of God's angels, um, the good angels, are given names. Uh, one name is Michael and the other one is Gabriel. And Gabriel means God has shown himself to be strong. Now, it was Gabriel who appeared to Daniel back in the Old Testament and it is through Gabriel that God broke his silence, his 400 years of silence, to Israel. Uh, and we see this in the first couple of chapters of Luke. We're going to be looking at Luke 2 tomorrow in church. But um, in the first half of Luke chapter 1, Gabriel appeared to this godly man by the name of Zechariah. He was one of the guys who was looking forward to the kingdom of God. Uh, and he appeared to Zechariah in order to tell him that his wife, Elizabeth, who couldn't have children, she was barren, uh, that she was going to give birth and that her child would be the one who would prepare the way for the Messiah. Now, who would that child be, by the way? It would be John the, John the Baptist. And then in verse 26 of Luke 1, Gabriel appeared to a young teenage girl named Mary. I'm going to read from verse 26. Uh, in the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Now, in those days, to be engaged to someone uh, may mean something quite different to what it means to be engaged to someone today. Actually, these days, with the changes, I don't know what engagement means anymore. 
Um, but um, in the first century, Judea, to be engaged, carried something of a similar kind of commitment to uh, marriage, but without the sex, which for godly people would happen after you actually got married. How about that for being revolutionary, hey? Um, it was, uh, that was the nature of, of engagement. And what it meant is that if a man wanted to break an engagement, it was, it was going to be messy and he'd have to actually divorce his fiancée. Or get this, if, a man, if an engaged man died, his fiancée became classified as a widow. Now, Mary was engaged to Joseph, um, which meant that she was committed to him, but she was still a virgin. Now, it's hard for us to grasp just what it meant uh, that God had broken his silence. But when he did, he didn't, he didn't actually send a prophet, did he? Instead, it was a, this extraordinary outbreak of angelic activity that we see in the first couple of chapters of Luke. Uh, in Luke chapter 2, uh, it was an angel that spoke to the shepherds and then there's a whole host of the, the heavenly host of angels appeared to the shepherds and they were praising God. The shepherds were terrified. I mean, who wouldn't be? Uh, they were terrified because the glory of the Lord was shining all around them. Well, Mary was terrified as well. But it was not just the sight of the angel that troubled her. Take a look at how Mary reacted to, to Gabriel. In verse 28, Gabriel says, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. And then in verse 29, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered, what type of greeting might this be? I mean, she's thinking, what's going on here? Why has an angel appeared to me? What's, what's about to happen next? Now, there's an old saying that goes that um, if you don't have anything to say, then don't say it. That's a good saying, isn't it? Now, I, I heard this story about Albert Einstein in 1938, when he was working at Princeton University in, uh, in America, uh, Einstein was invited to... He was invited by the president of a college called uh, Swarthmore College, which was a respected college. It was actually a Quaker college, the Society of Friends. And he was invited by the president of the college to, to give a talk at the college. Now, when you're actually in a position where you invite people to come and to give a talk at the institution that you run, um, you know, sometimes they say no. I'm an expert at this because I keep on inviting people to come and speak at our church getaway weekends. And the, but the reason that they say no is because they're actually, they're busy that weekend or they're going to be somewhere else speaking at another place. Einstein said no to the president. He said, I... I'm not going to come to your college to speak. But have a listen to his reason for declining. And this is what he wrote. He said, thank you very much, but I have nothing to say. That's fair enough, isn't it? He didn't have anything to say. And then a few months later, Einstein wrote back to the president of the college and saying, and I quote, 
now I have something to say. Can I come? <laughs> and so they put on a, <clears throat> I think it was a graduation ceremony or something rather like that. Now after 400 years of prophetic silence, God now had something to say. And the angel's message was about a birth. Uh, here in the passage we learn two critical things about this birth. Firstly, we learn who would be born. Have a look at verse 31. Verse 31. You will be with child and give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. So why did God break his silence? Well, he had something to say. That the central event of world history was about to happen. The Old Testament uh, ended on Israel's failure and it was a failure which pointed to the need for a saviour and a ruler from God. And here, what Gabriel is embedded in his words, uh, he's actually announcing the fulfilment of some very important Old Testament prophecies. Um, such as Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, it says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel meaning God with us. So 800 years earlier, Isaiah had prophesied that a virgin would give birth to a child who would be God with us. And here we say, see that the angel said to Mary, you'll be with child and give birth to a son and we'll give him the name Jesus, which means the Lord saves. And so you put those two together and we see that the child who she would give birth to would be God with us who had come in order to save. Now, there's another great Old Testament prophecy. Um, can I get you in your Bibles to flick back to um, Isaiah chapter 9 for a moment? This is pretty uh, well-known prophecy, particularly at Christmas time. It's on page 489 in the few Bibles. Have a listen to this. Isaiah chapter 9. Uh, starting with verse 1. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future... He will honour Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. Galilee. Go down to verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign 
on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. And the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. That is the great Old Testament hope. That is the hope of Israel. That is the promise of God. And now God breaks his silence because he had something to say. And that is the fulfillment of all those promises is about to happen in the birth of a child. Who would be, if you go back to Luke 1, who would be the son of the most high God, the everlasting ruler over God's people. Now, I reckon that's a pretty stunning piece of information, don't you? Imagine if, um, you know, imagine if my wife was pregnant and an angel appeared and said that the child is going to be this great ruler. I'd be pretty stunned by that. But there's something which stuns Mary even more, and that it's not the who question, it's the how question. <laughs> uh, it's, I mean, how could a virgin be pregnant? I mean, you can understand if someone these days fronted up pregnant and said that they're a virgin and you'd be a bit suspicious um, how could she explain it? how could she understand it we that's her problem and of course throughout christian history belief in the virgin birth um, has been problematic and it's it's often been attacked um, uh, critics outside of the church well they say it never happened um, you know, how could a miracle happen? Uh, and others, even inside the church, um, they, they try to explain it away uh, because they're unbelievers uh, and they, they're embarrassed by, by God's truth. And they don't just simply deny it never happened. I mean, they don't, you know, if you peel back too much of the uh, sheep's clothing, they don't want to see the wolf underneath. Um, they, you know, they'll explain it as being, you know, symbolic and uh, something that we can drive some meaning from but that never really happened because they're embarrassed by the truth. So that's one uh, problem with it. Uh, on the other hand, there are some churches who go too far the other way by wrongly placing too much emphasis on Mary and on her virginity. Um, going so far as to say that she, she always remained a virgin. She was a, a perpetual virgin and even further than that, that she actually never sinned. And, and along with that has developed this um, appalling and this idolatrous system of worshipping Mary. Uh, Cassie and I were in a church uh, a few couple of months ago and sitting there in the service and the guy at the front... Um, led us in prayer praying to Mary and asking Mary to do stuff for us because she's more holy. And when I was thinking, I can just talk straight to God about this through Jesus. So there's a couple of problems with the, the Mary uh, issue and her virginity for people who are unfaithful to the scriptures. Now, the angel is very respectful and very sensitive in uh, answering Mary's question of how. Um, have a look at verse 35. Uh, and the, so Mary's asked, well, how, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. 
So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Right, so how's it going to happen? The Holy Spirit. It will be a miracle. I mean, after all, as the angel says in verse 36, nothing is impossible with God. Look at, look at Elizabeth. She was barren and now she's six months pregnant. Nothing is impossible with God. But the answer to the how question actually helps us to better understand the who question. The who is Jesus and more than that, the why he came. Uh, the fact that Mary was a virgin at that point in her life is absolutely true. And it does prove that the pregnancy was miraculous, that it wasn't a natural thing. But when you think about it, she didn't actually have to be a virgin in order to have a miraculous pregnancy. Uh, the critical point is that the child was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Um, look carefully at the news that Gabriel delivered. And I quote, The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. That is, the little human, the, 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 the embryo and the fetus and the little, little baby that's, that's growing within her womb uh, would not be genetically connected with um, Joseph or even Mary. And I think that's significant because all humans are affected by, um, by or infected by original sin. Uh, that sinful nature that, um, uh, which has been passed down from Adam uh, through all generations uh, right through to you and me. You know, when uh, Einstein um, finally turned up at the college to give his uh, speech, uh, he, I've, I've read part of the speech and... I've, I've read all of this. I've skim read the speech. And what he did was he announced his thoughts on the human condition. Now, it was very humanistic, actually. Uh, religion, uh, it was all about how we as humans can improve our moral condition. And he said that religion, of course, plays a part in that. But it's, it, was, it was about self-improvement, that we can, we can uh, uh, keep on getting better and better and better through human effort uh, with a bit of religion on the side. But when God broke his silence, he did it to announce a very, very different message to that indeed. Uh, he did it to announce the message that we truly need and that is that by ourselves we're hopeless. By ourselves we're steeped in sin. By ourselves, then there is nothing that we can do to save ourselves that what we need is someone to do it for us, a saviour, one who is truly free from human sin. And that's why God sent his own son, who by his death died not for his sin, but for ours, so that we can be forgiven. And by his resurrection, is now declared in power to be ruler over all. Now, Christmas is a great time for reconnecting. You're looking forward to that tomorrow? With some family and friends that are coming to visit you or you're visiting them? It's a great time for reconnecting. 
Um, but most importantly, it's a great time for connecting or even reconnecting with God. And so in the midst of everything that you love about Christmas, um, can I encourage you to pause and reflect that Christmas only happens because God broke his silence. He had something important to say that he has sent the Saviour to rule over this world. And so the question is, of course, does he rule over you? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for uh, breaking your silence and uh, announcing the great um, fulfilment of prophecy in the birth of uh, your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you that he uh, was completely free of sin, that he didn't have that sinful nature and that he never sinned during his life. And we thank you, Lord God, that he died for us, rose again, uh, that he is now the one who is indeed uh, the one who rules from high and is the ruler over our lives. And so we pray, Lord God, that we would uh, be people who trust in Jesus and live with him as our king. Amen. So we're going to sing again now and I'll so hand back over to our music team. <laughs>